Welcome aboard this week's podcast of Dudes Dish Disney. No cupcakes, sparkles, or glitter mouse ears here, just Dudes Dishing Disney. This episode of Dudes Dish Disney is sponsored by Magic Vacations. Magic Vacations, discover the magic of travel. And now your hosts, the Dudes of Dudes Dish Disney. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dudes Dish Disney. Joining us today is Jonathan, our producer and resident tech dude. What's going on, guys? Also joining us is Ryan, our co-host and the number one Disney dude. What's up, dudes? And I'm Congo Carl, former Jungle Cruise skipper, here to guide you through this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. Great news, dudes. It's festival time at Epcot. It's always festival time at Epcot. True. True. Has the magic worn off? I don't know, Ryan. You bring up a good point. We'll figure it out on this episode as the dudes dish festivals at Epcot. You know, it's hard to imagine a time before the Epcot festivals especially if you started going to the park in the last 20 years. So in this week's episode, we're going to discuss the history of the festivals at Epcot, why they came about, how they've changed over the years, and what we think of all these never-ending festivals. Times have certainly changed since 1994 from the first ever Epcot International Festival. In fact, There's now four main festivals taking place at Epcot throughout the year. The first one is the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival in September to November, the original. What are some of the others, guys? So we've got um, the uh, Festival of the Arts, which features uh, my main man, Figment, here, big time. Um, we've also got the, uh, flower and garden festival and the festival of the holidays as well. That's right. So that's four. And if you think about when they start from September, actually the food and wine festival last year was pushed up to August and they end in May or June There's really like other, you know, not a month without a festival other than sort of the deep dog days of summer. I, I want to tell you about how this all started because it was original. You know, Walt Disney World right through the opening of Epcot was considered sort of a summer destination and they faced a problem. They struggled to persuade guests to visit during the fall. I used to love going the, through the fall because it was cooler. It was, um, but still warmer from being up north and it was emptier. People were all back in school. And it wasn't till the festivals started at Epcot and then later, you know, Halloween at the Magic Kingdom that people were drawn back in the fall. October was a great time to go. Perfect weather and no crowds. So, you know, the perception that Disney was just a summer destination as well as a wonderful place to spend spring break or a holiday, it wasn't optimal. Um for you know people to do this quick getaway in october november so the planners the executives at disney's company decided they would combat 
this process every fall till they eventually found a solution. You know, how are we going to deal with this declining attendance? They came up with a solution and it was the International Food and Wine Festival. And I got to tell you, even with Disney, there's no such thing as an original thought because in 1982, a relatively new magazine called Food and Wine from the owners of Time Magazine hosted a new event in Aspen, Colorado, and they named it the Food and Wine Classic. It grew and grew and attracted folks to Aspen in the off season. And a lot of the executives at Disney from out west and out east would attend this because it was sort of a she-she event. Fast forward 13 years, and there was an Epcot VP that examined the international appeal of Aspen's event and decided, you know what? They're drawing people from all over the globe for this event, and it's an international event. World Showcase at Epcot would be much better suited as that kind of an exhibition. So theoretically, the various pavilions at the um, park always included the finest foods and beverages. So how would you come in and bring a festival and circumvent that? So again, they offered this and they said, okay, let's do a specialty event that would enable each of the 11 participating countries to craft temporary menus. So it's sort of a temporary kick it up a notch and bring in special fare only to those Disney diehards willing to visit during the off season. And that was going to draw them in to the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. So that was really the strategy. It was, again, they, they saw something and mimicked it. But the key leveraging point was a couple of years before they started this in the mid-90s, Disney management was funding and attending and hosting sort of firsthand. So Central Florida was becoming a welcome haven for up and coming connoisseurs for wine tasting events. Look at wine's not grown on the vineyard in Central Florida. It's grown all across the country. But for some reason, there was a magnet here and they said, let's struggle to do this delicate balance between Disney and this food and wine. Now, so here's the goal, right? The park's empty, no one's around. They said, how do we attract foodies and wine lovers who otherwise wouldn't come to Disney ever? Cause it's not cool, right? It's not the end thing to do. How do we get them? But we can't have drunken and nauseated tourists ruin the vacations for guests. What a concept. Would that ever happen with us guys? Never, especially not with you, Carl. Oh no, no, it's all class, all class. In my little pinky is the class. Oh, wow. <laughs> you really just went there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got nothing. I'm, I'm all right, so, so that was the challenge, right? You wanted to bring in these 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 foodies and and wine tasters, but you're, if you had like twenty seven places to get drinks beyond the original, you know, drinks around the world, they anticipated, you know, Bubba coming in with the family and drinking some of that wine, and they didn't want to create that, so they limited the length of the event, right? They didn't want it 
a lot of months. It's grown to it, but they, originally they didn't. And they limited the number of sort of pop-up food places because again, they were showcasing the original countries and their menus. I remember when that first came out, as I said before, Germany in Oktoberfest was during the wine festival and they used to do special entertainment and special wines and a special menu and kick it up a notch in the beer garden just for the, that period of the original Oktoberfest, late September to October. And the other uh, countries that were sort of wine focused, like, you know, like Italy and France and Canada also did that. Um, so again, the goal was kind of increase the park traffic at Epcot, but simultaneously had to make sure that the guest who otherwise wouldn't visit Disney did not interfere with the enjoyment of the Disney diehards who sort of sustain the company across multiple business platforms, right? So you don't want to upset the, the regulars, but you want to draw in and increase attendance. So, um, so now knowing the history of that, what are you guys' thoughts on, on uh, from a business perspective of them inducing this, this uh, wine festival? I mean, they're ridiculously smart, to be honest. It, it didn't, I don't see, and even today it shows there, there wasn't a downfall to doing it. I mean, if anything, what food wine is now, it's insane. What the festival has grown into is absolutely incredible. It's crazy. All the options, all the food, all the wines, drinks. It's awesome. It, it's, it's the must do event when you go to Epcot. Yeah, I, I agree with John, but I mean, to take that a step further, just from the business perspective of it, you know, I didn't know the full story of how they got into it, but I, I always kind of assumed it was one of those things to keep drawing uh, dollars out of pass holders, right? So just like, hey, how do we increase our per capita of people walking in through the through the gates? Well, let's give them more stuff to drink and more stuff to eat and a reason to come back in, in limited time. It's like it's like the McRib at McDonald's, right? Like, why do people eat that? Uh, because it only comes out for three months a year, you know? So it's a limited thing and it just people just get excited about it. And it's fun to be at Food & Wine because you see people not just come and have a good time and get drunk and be crazy, but you see them coming like, you know, you see your, you see the families going to Magic Kingdom with their fun little t-shirts like, oh, I'm a Mickey dad and I'm a, I'm a, you know, mini mommy and whatever, right? But then you go into Food & Wine and you just see these like inebriated people with their matching t-shirts that are like, drink till you drop and, you know, stuff like that. And it's a totally different feel at Disney, uh, yet somehow the magic is still there, you know? So uh, brilliant, brilliant on their behalf to draw this crowd in and make it such an exclusive event that people want to keep coming back to it. We're a dude show and we focus on that aspect of the entertainment value. And I think there's really something to be said for the fact that you can go there and do it. Look at wine has become tremendously popular over the last 20 years. It wasn't you know, it wasn't just the average person who could go out and do wine tasting. And now it's become less formidable, easily accessible, and people want to try and taste the wines and then decide, oh, great, I've tried six. Here's the two bottles I like that I'm going to take home with me. Now, Disney had always had that aspect with the wine passes today in, in the various wine-centric companies, uh, countries that are available. But you know, they're, they, when they bring in the, the uh, festival, they kick it up a notch. There are some really top wines. I know you guys have been there 
Do you recall any, some of your favorite countries with wines that you may have tested? I know we drink a lot of stuff and maybe not that wine centric, but are you guys, uh, can you think about some favorites that you've had? So I will say I don't like wine at all. So I'm not really helpful here, but. All right, f- you. Okay, so <laughs> um, how about you, Ryan? Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm not a huge wine person. Uh, I do have, I have had some wine in Italy. I couldn't tell you what I had, honestly. I drink red wines mostly. Um, so, you know, but my problem with wine is it's got this really weird effect on me that if I have two glasses of wine, it feels like I had 14 margaritas, you know? So I don't know why it must be something with the antioxidants in it or something, but uh, wine messes with me. It makes me, it makes, I'm a lot of fun when I'm wine drunk, but it makes me goofy. Uh, not, not the character the, yeah, you know, but uh, yeah. So to answer your question, I have had wine. I couldn't tell you what it was though. It was All right. Good. So I'm going to go, I'm some of the, I'm going to go back from the more recent years and some of the most popular wines, since we're talking about this as the kind of landmark key uh, aspect of it. And Ryan, the first wine that I come up with, I know you're going to like, because it's from the Mexico pavilion and it was very popular, but uh, the sangria that was in Mexico, right? And that's an easy drinking wine and it probably won't do the things that, uh, that you just mentioned. Um, but, and it's probably one of the most economical glasses of wine during the festival. And it runs, you know, less than $10. Um, and it's just a, it's a sort of a quality drink on there. Um, my personal favorite is a temporary pavilion food and wine is the Alps, which is right after Mexico. They do raclette, which if you've never had, it's a great dude's, uh, food. It's, uh, basically melted cheese, cheese over various, uh, red potatoes. Um, and they do, um, uh, one of my of all the wines around the pavilions, this Rene Favre Dole, which is a red wine. They do a wine flight there, but this one goes pr- great with that classic um, dish that they serve from the Alps. But it also would go good with if you kept walking around and drinking it with other foods. It it would be great. Um, some people like our Shiraz. Um, and India has some of the best Shirazes. They've been awarded some incredible points on like all the wine spectator. And if you have the Vivino app, which I have that rates wines, the, the stuff that shows up there from Shiraz from India at Epcot is like top notch and it's very reasonable. And then um, the Mimosa Royale at Morocco has got a lot of high, uh, ends and I think these are kind of drinks that if you guys are not wine guys would still enjoy because they're not real wine they're more of car- sort of wine cocktails uh, in France I always love the champagne we've talked about this before there's some great champagnes and the great wine store there but during the festival the Kiera La Grande is wonderful and it gets sort of a sparkling uh, rosé wed wine and it gets great reviews by all of the people that flock there you have to remember when the wine festival started they had high name artists there chefs right and they were really doing this very sophisticated experience and it's morphed into this good time 
So whether you're getting the Reisland flight in uh, Germany or uh, the uh, honey wine from Ireland, Ryan, there are some great things. But I want to tell you too, just as there's good wines, there's some wines you have to skip. Get the traditional wines in, in Italy, not the seasonal stuff. And don't drink any wines from the Caribbean. There's pirates in the Caribbean. Drink rum. Don't drink wine. It's true. I can I can attest to that. There are pirates and there is rum. You got both of them. <laughs> um, and don't drink any of the organic wines in, in uh, Morocco because there's not enough good weather in the deserts of Morocco to grow wine. But if you want a great value, uh, the Africa uh, Pavilion has a great wine flight. And African wines are like, South African wines are like all the rage. That's great. And it really pairs well with the shrimp that they serve out there. So the Food and Wines Festival is all out there. You probably guys know more about the food than the wine. If you have any favorites, feel free to, uh, to chime in about some of your favorite experiences at the Food and Wine Festival. Well, first of all, what are you trying to say? How can we know more about the food? What, where do you get that, Carl? You both just said you don't care for wine, so. Oh, yeah. Well, in that case, yeah, I know you're probably right. Um, no, one of my favorite things I've ever had at a food and wine festival is a uh, ghost uh, uh, macaroni and cheese. So it has like the ghost peppers in it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was, really? it, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. So that was a really good one. There's usually three or four different takes on macaroni and cheese, which is uh, interesting. Right, because you get all this sophisticated food and then you got people that are just like, let's make mac and cheese and throw some crap in it and see what happens. Awesome. Um, uh, but uh, uh, Buffalo Blue Cheese Mac and Cheese was one that I had last year that was really good as well. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, they got all sorts of snacks and stuff throughout throughout the park. Uh, I get in this weird funk where I'm drinking and then I might like, I don't even remember what I eat anymore because it's just like, I'm just gonna throw that in my mouth because it looks good. But the mac and cheeses definitely stand out to me as, as some of my favorites. John, I remember you got you got some interesting, you had your eye on one specifically. It was like a kielbasa or something that you, right? I don't remember yeah. what it was. So uh, I forget the exact name of it, but it was um, some pierogies in kielbasa. It was awesome. I don't know if it was the amount of uh, beer and liquor that was in this by that point, but it was probably some of the best uh, pierogies and kielbasa I've had. Um, it, it not, it's not anything absolutely amazing, but it was it really was good. And it's hard to get a good pierogi and kielbasa in most places. So it was that good. And to come out of a theme park says a lot. You have me salivating right now because I grew up in Western Massachusetts um, and Chicopee, Massachusetts was home to King Kilbasa. And they had a big Polish festival and it was the best kilbasa and pierogies. So, and I haven't thought about that in years. And now you're talking about, I can't wait to go to Epcot to try that, to see if it's all, it's cracked up to be as you describe it. So uh, I, I will say now, if I can find the picture, I will, uh, I will definitely have us post it. Uh, so everyone kind of see what this thing looks like, but it, it's just enough. It's a snack, but it's just enough to give you a little bite to fill you up a little bit and keep you going. It, it really is that good. All right. So the next festival that I know that we've uh, attended was the Epcot 
International Festival of Holidays, which really runs from November to December. And if you're down at Disney World during the holidays, there's two parks you have to hit, Magic Kingdom, because the way it's decked out, and Epcot. The others are, in my mind, sort of afterthoughts, because Epcot does the holidays like nobody does it. Um, it's really a great experience. Um, you guys been down there in the holidays? Yes, I have. It's absolutely insane down there over the holidays, but it is a lot of fun. And it's a really unique way to take in Disney. You know, if you're used to going to Disney over the summer and or you're used to Disney going to Disney over spring break, uh, it really does have a whole new element to it when you go down for the for the holidays. Um, not only are the, you know, the, the characters dressed up a little bit differently, the parks are completely dressed up differently. I mean, and not even, I agree with you, you want to hit up Epcot and Magic Kingdom, but even Hollywood Studios, you know, is they do a really good job with it. But uh, I really like Epcot because, uh, you know, I've talked before about, I do like Disneyland as well. One of the, my favorite things about Disneyland is that they adjust to the holidays because of their annual pass holders. They're always changing things there. And I think in Orlando, Epcot is kind of that park, right? Where they're always changing things and they're always theming things for the holidays and stuff like that. Uh, so I really like the way they light up the park. I like the way that they do some of the rides. They retheme some of the rides. Um, and then the parades and, and stuff like that are all rethemed too. So uh, unique, you have unique foods, you have unique drinks for the holidays. Some, especially when, if you're a dessert person, uh, you can get all sorts of awesome desserts around the holidays. So the that's the parks. thing, right? So, yeah. so all those food booths that, you know, were designed to pair with wines and pair with all those, you know, uh, tasting examples, they sort of convert to holiday treats. A lot of them are, you know, the classics, but a lot of them are, I mean, you get things like, uh, you know, venison and hearty foods in the winter um, you know, Christmas foods that you think about. And then, uh, and then you get all the appropriate mulled wines from the different countries that you think and the hot drinks, right? The hot chocolate is spiked and co holiday cocktails replace the wines, right? So it's a very different experience. Jonathan, have you been there to partake? Unfortunately, I have not. I've only really been to Magic Kingdom Hollywood Studios during uh, the holidays. All right, then f you then. So <laughs> the, one of the things that there, there's two things that really make it magical. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I decided to I, my family had not been there during the holidays. And I reminisced, I only had been there once when I worked there in the holidays. I said, you've got to come see it. You got to see the decorations. You got to see what they do. And I said, we made it a, a point to, um, we came home Christmas Eve, but the 23rd of December, we spent in Epcot, 22nd in the Magic Kingdom. And the 23rd, we just spent more, all of that time really in World Showcase because they have the storytellers. And it's really, talk about a simple way to enjoy the day and what Epcot's all about, but not the high technology. But the storytellers are like 101 Disney, you know, classic entertainment. 
You have Pierre de Noël from France. You have Father Christmas in the UK. You have Ulansen, which is the barn Santa of Norway, the three kings of Mexico. They're doing a Hanukkah storyteller. All of the countries have these storytellers and you gather around very informally and they, they go through these little 15, 20 minute plays and to see the kids light, eyes light up and then ask questions about what the holidays are like in all of these different countries is just wonderful. And you just feel like the whole world is coming together over the holidays. And to top it off, um, the candlelight processional is probably the best seasonal event. It's one of my favorite things about visiting Disney World during the holidays. Um, these concerts they do have become a real draw to Epcot and they offer a moving retelling of the first Christmas story without being overly religious. And they feature a massive choir and orchestra and celebrating narrators. So what happened? We've seen the, 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 the big names like Neil Patrick Harris and Whoopi Goldberg and Kurt Russell come and do the readings. But to me, it's all about these hundreds of school kids that come all around from Florida to sing. So you've got the Voices of America, right? That choir, you've got the Magic Kingdom choir, and then you've got the Disney Orchestra, which is all the best musicians from all the uh, bands at, at Disney World. And then you've got two or 300 men, women, and children from these choirs, and they play out the Christmas story and sing you every classic uh, song that you would hear if going to a midnight mass at Christmas time. It's the closest thing that you'll ever come to is going to church at Disney World. As a matter of fact, we went to it and we're like, okay, we're good. <laughs> we, we celebrated Christmas. But it's, they play the trumpets loud, the, the French horns. It's just an emotional, wonderful experience. A must. Even if you're not that Christmassy of a person, the magnitude of the sound and the volume that's put together. And you could see it online. I would highly recommend that as there. Now, the other great part of that is they do dining packages with it. So you can get either lunch or dinner and you don't have to wait because it's a free show and everyone lines up for hours. And like 20 minutes before you can go in and be right down front. It's awesome. Um, and that's probably after having a holiday meal at one of the, at one of the Epcot pavilions. So I, I can't say enough about the um, holidays uh, festival um, in the uh, late winter at Epcot. Now you guys are more of experts on the um, on the festival in the spring on the flower and garden. Tell me what your thoughts are on that. So it it is again like the title states, flower and garden. It features a lot of the different topiaries, a lot of uh, the different uh, garden stuff. The big one that it features a lot of stuff from is living with the land. So kind of a lot of the stuff you see in that living with the land ride, you see on display throughout the park. The one thing I do love a lot is my friend Figment is featured a lot in this festival. You see the different, again, topiaries of Figment, the, um, the advertisements, it features him. They have special magic bands for Figment. If you're a Figment fan like myself, this is one of those festivals you have to you have to go and see. I think you Carl said. Out. 
I think, I think Carl's out. dead. I think, <laughs> oh, I think, I'm sorry. Did you say figment? <laughs> <laughs> so during the Epcot uh, Flower and Garden Festival, does figment ride the barnstormer with you? Ouch. <laughs> wow. We're bringing that one back. No, that's every time John goes to Magic Kingdom. <laughs> Ryan, what do you got got to say about the uh, Flower and Garden Festival? Yeah, I mean, I don't go down there specifically for it or anything, but it just always seems to be work out in the time of year that I'm able to go with my family, um, you know, with my wife as a teacher and, and stuff like that. So um, it's a cool event. You know, it's cool to see what they do, especially when you start talking about, you know, what they do with all the topiaries like John talked about. And, you know, they're shaping these things to look like the Disney characters and they're shaping them to look and they, and they place them appropriately too. It's not just like you randomly walk in and see uh, Tigger somewhere, right? Tigger's in the UK where he belongs because that's the story, right? Anna and Elsa are in, are in uh, Norway because that's where they belong. Uh, I would like to see them start now that they have some Marvel rights. I'd like to see them put like Thor out there and Loki. That would be really cool. That'd be um, awesome. Yeah, that would be totally cool. But um, you know, I think for me, that's kind of what I noticed the most about it is just kind of walking around and seeing that kind of stuff. You know, they certainly do have some specialized wines and drinks and stuff like that during that time, but it's not as prevalent to me as the other events that they yeah, do throughout it's more the year. About, it's more about, like you said, the flower, they have some exhibitions, the land is a big part of it. So the other part of it is that, you know, the food booths that we've talked about, right? They kind of retool themselves and they do a little bit more organic stuff, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's about that. I know that they've had past um, uh, exhibitions on like honey and uh, it, it, one of those, they've had them on maple syrup. So more to the spring and organic uh, flavor to some of the taste that they've done in in some of the uh, areas for the booth for the food, but but also these all these festivals, and I think specifically the uh, the festival in the spring, they have these series where, for a premium, right, you could go to these high end tasting dinners, right, that are either in the the festival tent or at some of the restaurants at Epcot. I've never had a chance to do any of that, but I've read a lot of great things on them. Um, you know, bringing these chefs in. And I mean, back in the day when they started promoting this, there was, you know, Bobby Flay was there, uh, you know, uh, Artie Smith was there, all these great chefs that, that, that do these little special extra things. Um, if you're really into the, the food aspect of the, um, of the festival. Yeah, I think one of the important aspects to the food aspect of the festival kind of goes back to what you were talking about with some of the more organic things, because one of the things they do is they offer a lot more of the vegetarian and vegan type options during this festival. Uh, and I do think from a business perspective, that's actually shaped some of the differences in Disney's food offerings recently, because they've become a little bit more friendly to those people uh, who have those, those dietary needs. Um, and I think that they got a lot of that based on the response that they got from these festivals and offering those products and knowing what people did like and didn't like based on that. Um, so it's kind of a, a way for Disney to kind of self-scout themselves too, you know, what, what kind of th things will people actually buy from us and eat. Um, but I think this is, 
you know, with all the festivals, really, but I think this is really a, one of those festivals through that that's very true to who what Epcot is. You know, I think when you start looking inside of the, like the living with the land, uh, like John mentioned, and you start realizing, you know, how much of the food that's produced in all of Disney World is actually produced on property, uh, how Disney's green initiatives have shaped who they are, uh, and I think that stuff really comes out in this festival. Um, so yeah, we talk about drinking around the world and then you got food and wine and then we talk about, you know, all the other stuff, but when you get to this part, it's very appropriate to, to Disney's green initiative too, to kind of showcase that. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think, I hope that, um, this spring when we're down there, we get to experience that firsthand. It, uh, to me, it's very intriguing. You know, Disney had been doing the topiaries and that aspect of it really since the early 70s, and it's become a lost art. They're not as prevalent around the hotels and everywhere they are, but they do bring them out. Um, and uh, there's a backstage tour of the tree farm where they grow these getting ready for the, uh, for the flower and garden festival. And uh, they are real, they are authentic, they're not um, artificially made. And uh, sometimes they're so perfect looking, you, you can't believe that they were done that. But there's some very talented uh, landscaping people. I mean, and I think that's also part of the celebration, right, in um, that time of year. The landscaping all over Walt Disney World is, is there's some of the unsung heroes. If you look around the properties, from the hotels to the parks, everywhere, you know, that perfectly manicured lawn in front of your hotel or that perfectly manicured golf green when you're golfing, that's all a tribute to the people who have, you know, taken this art of, um, you know, agriculture to another level at Disney. And I think part of that celebration um, at the uh, flower and garden is a hats off to all the talented people uh, behind the scenes that make, you know, all of the parks and all of the places look immaculate. Cause it's really, it's a labor of love for those folks. Yeah. So all, I, all you have to do, Carl, is walk up to the entrance of magic kingdom and look at the Mickey splayed out in, in flowers to know that it's what you're saying is true. I mean, cause that's, that's there and it's very under underappreciated, I think, by a lot of people. I don't think they really realize what goes into that uh, at both Disney World, at Magic Kingdom and at Disneyland out in front of the main parks. Um, so yeah, I, I do agree with you. That is no, totally a credit to those people. And, they, and they've carried it over to another level in Epcot. I mean, if you go to Bouchard Gardens in Canada, it's a replica, it's beautiful, right? And the formal English gardens of the UK. And then you go over to the flowers in France and just go to every country and pay attention to that classic Disney attention to detail. A lot of it has to do with um, the, the garden aspect of it in, uh, in Epcot. There used to be a gardens tour of Epcot, all the countries in addition to the land pavilion. We all know the landscaping, like you said, in, in, uh, from the, the gardens of Main Street to the jungles of Adventureland are a certain art form for those people. But I really, really believe that festival is a celebration of those folks. So uh, with that in mind, we move on to the fourth and final festival, which is the Festival of Des Arts, which if you're from France, it's very important to have the Festival of Des Arts 
But if you are a fan of Figment, it's even more important, right, Jonathan? Oh, it is. It is Figment's biggest festival. He is more out front in this festival than any other festival. He's got murals made of him here. They've got a um, a paint by uh, numbers for them that any guest can go in there. A little small, little square you can get done with them. Uh, different drawing classes with them. And the amount of art is more than you can stand. It is awesome. It really is a great festival. It's more than anybody can stand unless your name is Jonathan the Tech. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I understand this festival a little different than the others, I mean, the common part of it is the culinary arts. So food is always a part of these festivals and the boost and everything. But the food comes out very Instagrammable, right? It's all about the look and the click. And that's, you see that this time of year. The other parts, which I think are different from the other festivals at Epcot is the performing arts. So there'll be live performers at various places that are not, you know, Epcot's got a few, but they stack them up during this festival. And the other part is the visual arts. They'll have artists, painters, sculptures, photographers, throughout the area and various key locations where you can do that. And some of them very famous artists, right? That you can buy original piece from and get it autographed there. Uh, you see this all the time, right? Yeah, you, de you definitely do. I mean, there's, there's very unique pieces of art that you can get when you're at this festival. Like there, if you've got a favorite Disney artist, Chances are at some point or another, you're going to see them at this festival. So if there's a certain Disney artist you want, keep an eye on it because you never know. They may be showing up at this festival. Plan your trip, book your trip with one of us. We'll uh, get you down there to see your favorite artist and get, get something signed by them. And you'll have it in your unique collection for years to come. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I think about the artists and I don't know about you guys, but the mall near my house has a uh, has like an Art of Disney collection kind of store in it um, where they come in and they've got a whole little room just full of all these Disney artists and stuff. So I, I guess I always assume that those were in malls all over the country, um, but uh, I, maybe not. But it's always cool for me. Like, I don't know these artists. I'm not an art guy. I enjoy art. I appreciate art, but I, I don't I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to art. Right. But I like to look at it and I'll go through that store all the time. And every single time I'm in that store, there's at least one person in that store saying like, hey, do you know who can commission this for me? Or, hey, do you know who can do this for me? Or have you seen this piece somewhere? Um, and this is the place to go for that. You want to go meet somebody who can commission something for you or do something for you. This this is the event that you want to be at. No, I agree. So th there's a couple, I mean, there's exhibits to your point, Ryan, at every pavilion. So um, there's an art of Disney at the American pavilion. There's a Mexican folk art gallery at the Mexican pavilion um, in the stave church. It's always been a gallery, but they do some special things during that time. Uh, the house of whispering willows in China has some beautiful extra. I mean, Japan has always had, an art collection, but people don't pay, take the time to put in uh, through it. Um, but they go right into deep uh, uh, Japanese culture. Um, 
and all of these uh, pavilions will do that. Uh, France, etc. I mean, impressions to France is all based around art. The other piece of it that sometimes people glance over, but I think it's one of those things that you need to pause and absorb is there's a chalk art exhibition, right? Where everybody, um, there's, there's artists out there creating a chalk art wall and you as a guest can jump in and help them create it. And over the period of, you know, two or three months at this festival is that keeps changing. And there's a new one all the time. So again, one of the key things originally going back to the original festivals was how do we draw people into, uh, you know, Disney World that weren't necessarily going to come there in the off season? Well, now Disney World, we know, is full 12 months a year. But the festivals have been a way to attract the season pass holders and the local folks to come in and get a different flavor of Epcot. And it really, if you think about what Epcot's all about, it's very anchored in sort of that kind of environment in all the festivals. So what have we missed about all the magic of the festivals at Epcot? I think we discussed quite a bit of it, you know, but when it comes to the magic is I think the beauty is, is that you can visit Epcot four different times a year and see a very different Epcot every time you go. Um, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things that I like about it is that you can really just keep going and keep going back and not experience the same thing over and over again. Even, even when you do the rides, you know, like living with the land is, is, uh, rethemed for the holidays and it's rethemed for, uh, different events. So when you go through living with the land uh, normally during June or July, it's just, you know, kind of like, Hey, here's your tour. This is everything you go in in, in December and it's all lit up in Christmas lights or, or holiday lights. And it's, you know, uh, all done up in wreaths and, and whatever. So I think that's, I think that's what I like about it. I think that's what people maybe take for granted with it when they go to one or two is they don't, and they don't experience all of them is just the idea that you can get something new every time you go. Yeah. Touching, touching on what Ryan was saying there, you're never going to have the same experience with these festivals, especially with four different festivals happening all throughout the year. You can go in the spring, have a totally different experience than you would going around the holidays. Uh, there's different, like we've touched on, there's different food, there's different drinks. There's so much you can do there that it's not going to be a one-day experience with all that's going on. And you do that one time, do it, the, do it a couple days later, it's going to be something totally different. So there's endless possibilities within these festivals for you. Hey, dudes like to drink. We like to eat. Occasionally, we'll even look at some art, hear some music, attend a concert. Hey, let's face it. Dudes do festivals. Later, dudes. Later, dudes. Later, dudes. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. Please check us out on social media on Facebook.com at Dudes Dish Disney, on Instagram at Dudes Dish Disney, on Twitter at Disney underscore dish. Please visit our sponsor, Magic Vacations at MagicVacations.net. More than just a travel agency... Magic Vacations has over 60 Magic Vacation planners committed to bringing you white glove concierge service. 
using a Magic Vacation Planner allows you to spend more time making memories and less time worrying about the details. For all your Disney, Universal, Cruise, and global travel, go to magicvacations.net. Magic Vacations, discover the magic of travel. 